I'm Bethany Planton, founder and CEO of BMP Consulting, a grant consulting firm located in Louisville, Kentucky. In 2016, I earned my Grant Professional Certified Credential from the Grant Professional Certification Institute. One of the ways I prepared to take the exam was to read and study the book, prepare for the GPC exam, earn your Grant Professional Certified Credential, which was co-authored by Kimberly Hayes DeMuga. Prepare for the GPC exam is a book for anyone in the grant grants profession, or wanting to be in it. It's written in an informal, conversational style with lots of practical tips, examples, and definitions. While full of good information, many books like this can be dry, but not prepare for the GPC exam. The writer's wit and humor are found on every page. So if you are thinking of sitting for the GPC exam, you can purchase Prepare for the GPC exam, co-authored by Kimberly Hayes DeMuga, on Amazon. Well, hello there. I am Kimberly Hayes Day Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Season 4 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. Season 4! We made it to another season. <sighs> Yay! So, we're doing more in Season 4. Let's see what I did there. <laughs> <laughs> to help nonprofits, local governments, and the consultants who serve them raise more money and get more grants by sharing real-world experiences and interviews with experts in getting it done. You may hear y'all or two along the way. It's possible. And singing. Mm-hmm. And strange sound effects. Oh, for sure. <laughs> That's right. There is more of us to love in season four. We got episodes dropping every other week, all year long. So let's get into it, shall we? Let's. This podcast is brought to you by season four sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com? Check it out today. So, Amanda... I feel like I've been training for this episode all my working life. <laughs> I have so much to say about grant applications and how far they are from being perfect. What? I know, <laughs> shocking. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to go on record as saying that I'm not anti-grant. True and that. I know you're not either. Nope. Because funding from federal, state, and local agencies, as well as private and community foundations, and even corporate funding, it brings tremendous benefit to people, places, and things all across the country. Absolutely. I have seen kids cooling off on a hot summer day because they got to play in a splash pad that a grant funded. I've witnessed uninsured adults receive health care that is so desperately needed thanks to grant funding. I've even seen a great community benefit and kind of an economic driver with grants that have paired local musicians with restaurants to help pay. So the restaurants get musicians to come and the musicians make money and their their voices are getting out there, right? So, I mean, grants can do so many things. It's crazy. You're, you're absolutely right. And I've been privileged to work on grants that resulted in more hungry people being fed, more life-saving, uh, highly tech 
technological equipment for premature babies, safe vans to help people with disabilities get to work or get out and volunteer or just get to enjoy life. The end results can transform a single life, a family, a community, a state. It's the process of grants that's that's got me down. <laughs> and that's that's the tricky part. And, you know, it just it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, that's the sad part is it doesn't have to be like that, right? So between the two of us, we've been researching, writing, and managing grants of all sizes for more than 40 years. Dun, dun, dun! (laughs) Some great things have come out of these grants and some not-so-great application processes have come out of it (laughs) Now, we're not saying that grant makers should just throw their money at any agency, Okay. We understand that there needs to be a process, that they should have a say on where their money goes. And, you know, they want to make sure that it's well used and entrusted and isn't going to some fly-by-night agency that's not going to be there tomorrow, right? And they certainly have the right to know how their money was spent and to know that it's being put to the good use that they want it to be put to, right? Sure, sure. Um, But things like overly complicated forms, unnecessary documentation, online portals that do not work, among other things, place unnecessary burdens on the very folks that are working to make things better in their communities. <laughs> not not that we're bitter. Bitter. Oh, no. Party of Party two. Well. Your table is ready. <laughs> no, that's not. But, but, but holding up what is wrong is one of the first steps to making it right. So, why don't we each share our, our top things, our, the big things that grant applications are getting wrong. And, and then later on, we're also going to talk about ways to make it better, things that you can do yourself to help make this process better. And I, I'm saying this, I'm setting these little ground rules um, and imposing these limits so that any residual ranting on my part is minimized. I could create an entire podcast just on my feelings about grant applications. And, you know, I'd be in, girl, I would be in the 12th season. I would be in the 12th season by now. It would be like daily podcast of me going, it's wrong. Um, Or I could just wander the streets practicing social distancing, of course, and howling at the moon about this. I mean, that's also unsettling, but it could happen. But I just feel like doing it this way feels a little more helpful. And I would like for you to go first, my dear friend. I'd be happy to. And kind of echoing what you said, too, we're not saying that every application process is horrible because there are some really great ones out there. And we're not saying we're, you know, we're the end all be all know all. We're just, again, that 40 Ooh, years. I don't know. Experience. I don't know. Speak for yourself. I don't, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Go on, go on. Just <laughs> well, kidding. We, we do have a combined 40 years of experience. And we've talked to a lot of other grant professionals that have had some of these same conversations with us. So yep. we know we're not alone in this. Um, like, oh, things could be better. So if you've got any funders out there who want to take a listen, we are happy to share all of our wisdom, right? We're happy to get on the phone or a Zoom yes. call with those funders directly. We would be delighted. Yes. We would be delighted. And we would actually, we would be polite and yes. we would be delighted. Delightfully polite. Anyway, go yes. ahead. Go get on it. That's us. Delightfully polite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really <laughs> our new tagline. <laughs> That would only be true for you, I'm afraid. uh, (laughs) No. Okay, so first up, in the worst things about grant applications, how about we talk about length and space limitations? Oh, let's, shall we? Okay. 
So number one, I feel like we have total extremes when it comes to applications. They're either way too long or they are way too short. Which is actually a thing that is a problem, right? I feel like I'm Goldilocks. I need that just right, you know? (laughs) The porridge is too hot. It's too cold. Um, So, I mean, I have seen federal grant proposals where it's 150 pages plus once everything is said and done and put together. And I'm not saying as a grant writer, I'm writing a a narrative that's 150 pages, but by the time I write all the required sections, I give all the required forms, I all the things, right? I've put together this monstrosity of a thing and I'm like, who is ever really going to sit down and read all of this, right? (laughs) I mean, clearly grant reviewers do, but it's just, it's kind of crazy the amount of time and effort necessary sometimes. So True. you've got, you've got that expense where it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, but then you've also got the other extreme where private foundations, they want a letter of intent and you have one page to put this together. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, but girl, you left out the best part. They may have 12 questions. They want you to answer in that one page and they're not name address and phone number. Okay. No, it's not like yeah. that. Yeah, this is exactly right. So you've got this dichotomy of either information overload versus nowhere near enough space to actually be able to explain the needs of the community and our great program we're going to put in place and how we're going to do it and what's our time. Like, we just can't get that into one page, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's my biggest gripe is just the spacing of it. There's got to be some sort of happy medium in there where the funders can get everything they need but as a grant writer, we're not spending our wheels just trying to figure out how to cram it all in. So, I mean, let's face it. We're a part of a whole industry that are experts in playing this wackadoo game, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because – and that leaves out a lot of folks who can't afford to either hire or work with or find other ways to work with grant professionals that are versed in stretching words, condensing words, character counts and all of this. It's just, you know – it's it's just kind of a waste. Yep. So my second thing when it comes about the length is that so often there's no correlation between the length oh, and yeah. the complexity of the proposal and the dollar amounts. Seriously. I'm not kidding. When I teach the writing class, I do a side-by-side comparison. I show them two grants I have written, both of them for trail-related projects, One of them is eight pages long. The other one is 96 pages long. What's crazy is the eight-page proposal is a million-dollar request, okay? Like we can get a million dollars from the feds plus our match, Mm -hmm. okay? The other one, we're asking for $60,000 from the funder and then our match as well. But so I'm like – I'm just – I'm curious. Is this a – It's a private funder that wanted the 96-page – it's a, actually they're both federal. These are oh, both federal applications because there's no standardization. Nope. So yeah, so it just blows my mind because it just again from funder to funder they get to decide what their application is going to look like, right? Right. So, so there's that that can be a fun conundrum, um, and then the last thing is. We're talking about page limits, but also all those applications that have those limited character counts. Oh, for F's sake, y'all. Seriously. I know this is a family podcast, but my God, heaven. <laughs> well, and it's that, you know, answer this three-part question in 500 character counts. 
Okay. And I'm going to pull up. I've, I've already got it queued up and ready. Because <laughs> my girl is thorough. I had a grant. This uh, this is going back to that eight-page application for a million dollars. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to build a trail system. They wanted me to explain the project benefits. Okay. I kid you not. I could have written pages about the benefits of a trail system, right? I could have talked about it's good for people's physical health because they can be out riding their bikes and walking, which is good for them, right? It's also good for their mental health to be outside and in nature. I could have talked about how it's an alternative transportation route so people mm-hmm. could have ridden their bikes to work, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. meaning instead of adding to the gridlock in Atlanta's traffic, they're taking their cars away. So they're, you know, instead of sitting on the interstate for five hours to get home, they're having a nice 30 minute bike ride, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's better for the environment because they're not adding to, you know, the exhaust and the fumes and the ozone and all that mm-hmm, stuff, right? Mm-hmm, I could have talked for days. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read to you my one sentence that barely fit in my character limit, right? I'm ready? ready. I'm ready. This transportation alternative allows area bikers a safe route to work, home, and other destinations. That was my project benefit statement because that's all that would fit. And I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but I'm going to share it here. When I said work home and other destinations, I couldn't fit the word and. So I used an ampersand in my grant proposal. Hey, nobody's judging you. And you know what? People who are judging, back off, y'all. Seriously, <laughs> this is the kind of real world craptastic thing that can happen when somebody some well-meaning person somewhere, I'm going to try and take the high road, decided that that was a good idea. I mean, yeah. that's like, I mean, what would you do if you, like, if I was doing this for a food bank? It's like, hunger bad, feeding people good, healthy food is healthy. I mean, really? Yeah. You know, do we, do we, <laughs> wow, that's, that's powerful. Uh, but it's like, <laughs> is that really, you know, you can be a little too short. So yeah, that's, that's nuts. I, I'm sorry that you had to do that. And if you're laughing to yourself going, well, I would never do that. Really? Why don't Dude, you just I, get on I, out there and get back to us? Cause it's out there. Okay. I spent more time writing that one sentence than of I did probably on the rest because did. it was so limited. And not only did I use an ampersand, I did not include my Oxford comma cause it wouldn't fit <gasps> and it broke my oh, heart. Oh, Oh it's my gosh, y'all, y'all, Amanda is hardcore Oxford comment. This, I did not hear this or see this coming, and <laughs> I am shocked. I know, and, but I mean, it was either, I either had to have a period at the end of the sentence or the comma, and I decided the wow. period was more important. So while so. this is an amusing anecdote, let's <laughs> put, sucks. let's, I'd like to pitch this two different ways. Yeah, it sucked. What if A you were the organization hiring a consultant who is trying her very, very best to do this without violating some serious grammatical rules. Or if you had an employee who was tasked with completing this, they're spending, I mean, seriously, you could spend some time trying to make something that short fit in. But what's the real point? The real point is that you're trying to help ease transportation and have healthier alternatives for people, not to spend hours and hours in word games, because that's what some of these applications are. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. Um, and I also, I'm, I'm, I feel myself sort of getting all frothy, you know, working up to a mini rant. But, okay, so we've talked about limits and words like too little, too, the Goldilocks effect. I would like to say, although it's true, 
Goldilocks would have gone down for breaking and entering. I'm just going to say she was a person <laughs> who knew what she wanted, and let's not take that away from her. Okay, just moving on. Um, so one of my not-so-favorite things that, again, keeps grant applications for being just a tool, a communication tool and an agreement between two organizations to do good things, excessive amounts of attachments. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, God. It's just, again, I, no, I, I can't. I can't really justify it. And let me tell you why. Um, a lot of times, if you're not familiar with or you're new to grants, so there'll be a narrative portion, perhaps a budget portion. Maybe they're going to ask you about some goals and objectives. And then if it's an online application, which so many are, um, you'll get to the last tab and it'll say attachments. You open that bad boy and they want like 15 or 20 extra documents. Um, this is why I would advise you if you are new to this and you are applying online, download the whole thing first, page through it first, do what you got to do because you do not want to be, if it's due at five, you do not want to open that attachments tab at four o'clock and not know what's there. <laughs> Trust a grant pro on this. That is not what you want to do. Typically, the things that appear there are some of the things that should be readily available in your workplace. But if you don't know it, you don't know where to find them. And, you know, that's I'm just I'm just putting that out there. But I also want to say, really, y'all, you have to ask for for a fifteen thousand dollar proposal. This is a real life example. This funder that I'm not going to name. Um because I do not want to affect the funder's relationship with the client because I don't think oh, that's yeah. fair. Um, I'm, but this funder for $15,000 proposal asked for 15 attachments. And one of which was a thing that doesn't even exist. And I am not kidding you. I'm not kidding what, what you. I'm it? not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. Um, instead of, so they asked for things like your 501c3 letter, right? That certifies that the that the federal government has issued a a nonprofit ID number. Basically, it's kind of like social security numbers for nonprofits, right? It's a yeah. it's a unique identifier um, that you've met all that criteria. Um, or 990s, again, if you're not familiar, like a tax document for organizations that do not pay taxes because of their nonprofit status, but they still have to report. If they're if they have budgets over a certain amount, I think it's around two hundred two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year annual budget. Um, then they fill these out, um, and they can be depending on the complexity of your organization and the number of gifts or what have you. They could be twenty to one hundred and fifty pages long. You mm -hmm. could they could be asking you for that. They could be asking you for a list of boards. Uh, your I'm sorry, your members of your board of directors is what I meant to say. And you may go, oh, fabulous! We have a PDF that we create every year. Oh no, my friend, they may have a special form uh -huh. for reasons unknown to this grand professional, <laughs> where you have to enter the first name and the last name and the this and the that. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Bank of America. I mean. Thanks for getting all that money out there, but what in the Sam Hill, as my grandmother would like for me to say, what in the <laughs> Sam Hill does that even mean? Why can't, what is it that, wh why? Because it could take 15 minutes. If you've got a lot of board members, you're spending, uh -huh. and you may be like, oh, well, 15 minutes. I'm like, oh, if you're billing by the hour, wouldn't you rather have your client actually pay for actual work instead of mindless busy work for the and same information? I'm always so worried when I do that, that I'm going to, because, you know, 
I'm going to misspell somebody's name or their title and mess it up. And, you know, you want that to be perfect. And so it takes more than 15 minutes because you want to get it right. And I just, I mean, is it, do they have some sort of master spreadsheet? And I'm picking on Bank of America, but they're not the only ones. They're just the ones I can remember right now. Plenty Mm -hmm. of them. And I'm like, what purpose does it serve? Can you not just have a list? Um, I just, I don't know. And then they may be asking for your secretary of state and your state where you're your, your agency was formed to show that you're current and mm-hmm. they tell you how to do it. Well, you go on a website and you pull up something and you print it out and you do all this, but you know, anyone could do that. Right. Yeah. But that has to be an attachment. I have seen, and I know Amanda has too, a $20,000 request that had 20 attachments. That's a thousand dollars in attachment in case you're keeping track at home. <laughs> and it's asking for things like your last three uh, board meeting minutes. And I'm like, Really, y'all? Really? $20,000. Yeah, you get $20,000. Who? Why is it their business? We don't know. But again, again, sure, there are things that exist, but you're gathering and gathering and gathering. And remember, these are the organizations that can either afford to hire a grant professional or contract with a grant professional or somehow secure pro bono work. And while we're spinning around finding all this documentation, much of which is publicly available, then the people are doing that. They're not helping the communities that they're there to serve because they're busy gathering all this paperwork. I feel you funder that you would want to see a board of directors. You may even want to know about the gender, ethnicity, and racial makeup of a board. I can kind of see that too. Yeah. Although I have to say for a lot of funders who request that, <laughs> have y'all checked the all white board that you have lately? Because because I have, because I'm just that vindictive. I go on your website and be like, oh, and where's your diversity plan, Family Foundation? But I digress. I digress. <laughs> so, again, gathering all this information. Sometimes you're asked to provide a statement on letterhead saying that you know you're applying for this grant. <laughs> Doesn't that make you giggle? I'm, just, I'm, I'm like- just like, okay. <laughs> and, and I've reached that acceptance point in my life where I'm like, I know this is coming up. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Believe me. I don't spend all this time ranting and raving while I'm writing and getting the stuff done. I just put my head down and get the stuff done. But I would like to hold it up as seriously, seriously. It, it just, it seems like we're operating where the funder is convinced that we're, um, we are like a real life Breaking Bad and we're trying to move from a meth lab to a nonprofit and they have to check everything. <laughs> I mean, can we can we go? Sure, there's grant fraud. I I, I get yes. it. There's grant fraud, there, there, but I'm wow, it's pretty rare. And especially at this level. Um, other things, you know, org charts, I'm like, okay. Why? Um, I mean, again, it's a document that can exist, but sometimes they want a specific kind of org chart in a specific way that requires specific software. And it's like, for years, I did it because it was my job to do it. But that doesn't mean it's the right way to go about gathering information. And the financial documents, uh, earlier in my rant, I referenced um, a, a funder that was asking for documents that actually didn't exist in their list. Instead Mm -hmm. of saying, we want these three uh, financial documents, they asked for one of the items on the list was financial statements. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, that should have just been 
we want the, the following three financial statements. So again, I'm scrambling, the client's scrambling, and it took a very wise person who was reviewing the grant to go, hey, wait a minute, this actually isn't a thing. And this same person said, and by the way, I contacted the same foundation a year ago to point out that the attachments they request, there's a big mistake there. And it was just like, oh, how many people does it take? And again, this was for uh-huh. a $15,000 grant. And if the eight, the grantor in question is like, oh, well, we're understaffed and we don't. Okay, I feel you understaffed. I have been understaffed for most of my professional life, but, but come on. Yeah. What about just reviewing it? I just... I just don't know. And the final thing, um, audited financials. I'm actually, I'm like, that's so, I'm so copacetic with that. Audited financials in which a third, this is for nonprofits, in which a third party organization, an accounting firm comes in, looks at your books. They create a series of, um, of um, reporting documents based on generally accepted accounting procedures and um, then issue a letter of, uh, which includes any findings, which means anything that you might, your organization might be doing that would merit improvement, you know, those kinds of things. It's very straightforward and it is it is unique to each organization. But you know what? To hire a third-party accounting firm to come in and do all that, somebody's got to pay for it. And if you are a small grassroots organization or a mutual aid society that is just trying to get the good work done, you don't have an extra $20,000 to have this done. And so, Again, if it's a ten or a five to twenty to thousand dollar grant, and you want to have proof that this organization has has been able to spend twenty thousand dollars developing an accounting report that they can't even afford to do, I mean, do you know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. it sets up all kinds of inequities, and I just feel like there's a much better way to come, particularly if you're going to the same organization for funding year after year. You really do not need to keep providing some of this documentation. It takes up time. If you have to print it out, it kills trees. But more importantly, it can get in the way of actually getting the good work done. Yep. True. Um, here's an off-the-wall novel idea. Oh, uh, let me let me clutch my – oh, I'm not wearing pearls today. Let me clutch my – let me clutch my cardigan closely around me. Go ahead. <laughs> What about if the funder actually tested <gasps> their online platforms? What? Before they released it out into the wild. You are oh. so talking crazy talk on this day. <laughs> oh. It's a novel idea. Oh my god, Amanda. What what wow, what an innovative and completely non-commonsensical approach you take to this. Please yeah. tell me more. Please tell me more. <laughs> Well, I, I've got two examples of just uh, bad experiences. You're trying not, so hard not to cuss. You never cuss. And you're trying so hard not to. Um, yeah. And trying not to also, especially funders that are trying to do good work. And like you said, you don't want to call them out and then them. Oh, some of them I will call them out, but I don't yeah. want to hurt a client. I will call you out if I can. I will do it. Um, 
anyway, I, a client got invited to participate in a um, application process. They every year they get invited, so they got invited again this year. And it was my first year as their grant consultant. Their Fair. previous mm-hmm. consultant mm-hmm. retired, mm-hmm. so um, the old consultant gets the invite. She forwards it on to me. I go to the training. They've got a brand new system, and so part of the training is teaching you how to get logged in. And basically, they're like your whatever your old login was. You're going to use that and we're going to send you new credentials. So I'm like, okay, okay great. Okay, so, okay. Um, so I do, I, I have the old credentials from the grant previous grant person. I put all that in and I email her and I said, Hey, it's probably going to come to you, but once you, you know, forward it to me and then I'll change it. So it's all me is the contact moving forward. Yeah. Like days go by and she finally emails me and she's like, um, I still have nothing. So you might want to call. So they had a, um, kind of a generic email grant info to call. And they said, we, we respond to everything within 48 hours. I'm like, okay, no big deal. Mm-hmm. So, I still got like three weeks before this grant's due. I'm fine. Um, so I email it. 48 hours comes and goes, nothing. Shocking. Um, I called three different people. Now, to be fair, it is during COVID, so I'm sure a lot of people are not at the office. Um, but not only did no one answer the phone, but their voicemails were all full, so I couldn't even leave a message. Nice. Um, we pl- I played this. I-, I mean, I'm emailing. I'm, nobody is responding to me. So here it is the night before the grant's supposed to be due, and I still haven't even gotten logged into their Oh, my system. God. Oh, my God. And... So I found, I sent this email and I'm like, I'm embarrassed. I'm sending this email because I've never done this in my entire professional life, but I'm asking you for an extension on a deadline and here's why. And I laid out all that had happened and all that I had tried to get in. And um, they ended up coming back going, oh, we never should have invited your client in the first place. I'm just letting that sit there for a minute. So it's just all, first of all, your portal system sucks because I can't even get into it. And I, I'm I'm not an idiot, right? I, I followed the instructions. I emailed every place you told me to. Nobody's responding. So it's just a bad portal system that's not working correctly. Nobody being responsive. You've got a brand new system in place. You need to respond to people contacting you. Like that's that's to me is irresponsible. I not- just I have to step in right there and say, I feel everyone is like, but COVID. I'm like, I feel you, but COVID. But I'm going to say this. We have been we have been in this situation since February. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, and I know it sucked and I know it's, I'm, I know all those things, but at this point saying, oh, but we haven't worked out our communication systems yet after eight months Mm -hmm. is really not a, a valid excuse. And the first six to eight weeks, of course, but at this point in the game. Yeah. 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 It was all kinds of a hot mess and Mm, I'm still not happy. I also feel bad for my client because I spent hours trying to get into a system that we never could get into. So then it's the dilemma of, well, I, I still did work, but I also don't have a finished product to give them. So right. like, so either one of us is either I'm not charging them. So that kind of hurts my bottom line and I have bills to pay or I do charge my client and they're paying for something that really was nothing, you know? So it's just, it was all around icky. I just didn't like it. Um, we're going to move on because otherwise whew. we'll be here um, all day. We'll be yeah. here all day. We, we And we could be here all day. We could. <laughs> Maybe we should do some sort of weird, like live Instagram live marathon where we just, <gasps> where we just um, eat 
kettle corn and talk about this. It's just an idea I have. But seriously, but seriously, I have two words for you, uh, lovely listeners, and those two words are survey monkey. So I get that people are wanting to have people being funders. They're wanting to have what what on paper seems to be a very easy tool to gather information, right? Uh, if you haven't ever um, worked with a SurveyMonkey survey, it's it's a very easy way to set up questionnaires. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of some examples. Oh, examples like um, uh, basic customer service or um, even uh, personally, you know, you could talk about, you could have like a survey about uh, book clubs or something like that. You could do all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's either free or very inexpensive, but here's the trick. Because it's free or inexpensive, as a as an a- grant application platform, it's really not effective because no. you can't page through screens to see what's going on. You can't get the lay of the land. You don't understand what documents you may need. You can't go back once you've started in many cases. And um, for all of these reasons, you, you just – you can't prepare. You can't put your best foot forward because you don't know what's coming up because it was designed – to ask people's opinions, not to incorporate a series of fact-based um, answers or possibly um, specific financial or program outcomes questions that you would need to have at your fingertips. So we have that where it's like um, a current popular platform not suited for grants. Why funders are you trying to make this fit? I am not impressed. But on the other hand, you have folks who are you know, they're calling from the 1950s and they want their grant form back. And this is what happens. This is actually what happened in the year of our Lord, 2019. I was working with a client. Um, It was a very short form, but it was all paper driven. And by that, I mean, they'd actually marked out a square on the paper and had run it off and said, you must fit all your answers into this square. Okay. Not a P, no, not a PDF document. Not, I mean, I'm like, what is this? It's like paint by the numbers grant. It's like, it, it's like, you know how it, it reminded me of those adult coloring books. They're supposed to calm you down or whatever. When you're like working on something, I'm like, no, that it doesn't even match with, I mean, I think it was actually created for, from when people use typewriters, which if uh-huh. you're not familiar with what that is, it was a mission before pre-computer. It was a machine where you could key things, keywords in onto an actual physical piece of paper. Yep. Okay. That, no printers, no nothing. It was just you, your fingers and some keys. And it's why keyboards are set up in the order that they're set up in the letters. And there's no spell check. Yeah, there's no spell check. There's you and some whiteout and some cussing. That's what there is. Mm -hmm. So, but, but again, this, this executive director of a super small, well, maybe medium sized nonprofit in the area had to take his time to cut this out or would have to pay me to do the same. So I'm like, it's cheaper if you just go ahead and cut it out and put it in and make a copy of it and put it in the mail. And by the way, this was during COVID. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it involved a lot of things of him having to go places and do things. And it's like, come on y'all. And the grant would be disqualified if any letters were out of the box. So I had to recreate a box on my and word and fit stuff in and measure it and shrink it and send it to him. And he had to, with scissors and glue, the actual meaning of the words cut and paste. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. 
Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I'm dying. So I just this this organization when it's not doing craptastic craft exercises that a second grader could do in order to get funding, they do things like help people live safely in their houses. They build um, ramps and, and, and put in safety modifications and devices to keep older adults in their homes longer, safer. It's an incredibly important mission. But instead of building a ramp, he was there cutting and pasting literally and figuratively to get this thing done. I'm just, I'm so over it, but I'm going to stop talking now. I uh, know. It's crazy the hoop she jumped through. Um, and the process really can feel very much like the Hunger Games of grants, um, which is, um, if anybody has followed um, Vule, nonprofit AF, um, we highly recommend you follow him and or listen to our two-part interview with him in season two. He's mm-hmm. the one who really spends a lot of time talking about the Hunger Games of grant applications. And it's just frustrating because those that can't fill out this exacting form or afford to pay somebody to do it, they're eliminated from the game. Okay. Even though these may be the same nonprofits and groups and individuals that are doing the work, they're feeding the hungry, they're clothing the poor, they're, you know, they're serving. Right. But because they don't have someone who has the time and the bandwidth to deal with all of this stuff we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. they're underfunded and it's, kind of a process that's sadly been happening year after year. Um, And I've witnessed it firsthand because um, I've been a reviewer many times, many years over for the Georgia Department of Education for their 21st Century Community Learning Centers grants, which funds after-school enrichment and tutorial and education components for kids to make sure they graduate from high school and do well in English and math and science, right? And what sometimes is so sad, I'll read an application and it always starts with their need statement. And I'll read from these communities that clearly have a need, right? Right. Based on their scores and their poverty Based, based on the statistics that they yes. can report. I mean, yes. it's there. The need, it's right there. They clearly need the most help. But because I've got to follow the scoring rubric when I get to all these other sections, if they're not playing the game and following the rules just so, they're not going to score as well as their counterparts who maybe don't have as highest need, but they've got the money to pay a grant writer who knows how to play the game, right? And so they're even though their need is greater, they're not going to score as well, which means they're not going to get the funding. It's, it's kind of a warped system that grants are to help people and communities, and it doesn't always go to where the help is most needed. It's very true. It's very true. Um, pre-pandemic, Amanda and I both taught in uh, grant writing and grant management across the country to tens of thousands of people. And um, each time I would begin to teach, some at some point in the first hour or so, I would just come out and say it, that grant writing is a kind of game and that I was good at playing that game, but I wanted to point out that the rules were not fair and there needs to be change. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about how to play this game because until the game changes, until more people come together to point out these baked in inequities, it is not going to change. So in the meantime, you're still going to have to cut and paste into a box or you're going to have to call voicemail boxes that are stuffed to try and get some answers. Um, I and, and I get it. It really need there really needs to be some kind of accountability. We've mentioned that several times and I'm I don't wanna just say, oh yeah, just throw money at people, it's all good. But it needs to match the effort and the amount of money um and 
there needs to be some kind of discussion or standardization or something so that the money really goes where it's most needed instead of where people can afford the best writers, frankly. Yeah. There are definitely better ways to do it than what's in place now. Um, But the good thing is that there are avenues for us to start sharing these kind of things and grant advisor that website, grantadvisor.org, is a great place on the foundation side for you to go and post reviews of grant makers yep. and what works and what doesn't. So if they get an A+, then give it to them so we can see who are those funders that we should be raising up as examples and then who are the ones that are not doing so good. And maybe they can start working on that, right? Um, I've certainly spent most of my career on the public funding side of things with federal and state grants. Um, But as a consultant, I'm starting to do more foundation applications. Mm -hmm. And listen, no one's ever going to say a federal grant is an easy thing to do. But the thing about federal grants that I so appreciate is they usually come with webinars and trainings, very detailed applications. It's almost like they almost give you too much information, which I've, I've come to expect. So I know exactly what they want and where and how much space I have and everything. And now that I'm delving into the private side, when sometimes you just have send us a five-page proposal. And I'm like, but <laughs> okay, welcome. But, <laughs> welcome to my world, Amanda. Welcome. <laughs> Come on you, in. Grab what a chair. Do you want? And who do I, how many copies? And like, there's almost no instructions. It's for someone like me who likes the structure of knowing exactly what to do when it's just this wide open thing. It's, I'm very befuddled sometimes. Uh, it just, I won't go into a, a total rant because I've got lots to say about this in a future episode. Um, but let's just say, it's it's just crazy how very different it is that they're I don't know I don't know we're just gonna leave it at that <laughs> I think it's really easy and certainly was for me I'm gonna speak for myself when I first started writing grants low those many years ago I was like I wanted to I wanted to do everything that was required everything that was asked and do it right every single time on deadline and that's not a bad work ethic to have, but it's with experience, I was sort of able to sort of hold my head up from where I had, you know, pushed it down, trying to answer all these questions to go, are these even the right questions to ask? Is this even the right way to go about it? So I'm I'm hoping, um, and we're hoping that through this podcast, there are ways we can hold up information. Let's ask a question. Amanda mentioned Grant Advisor as a place where you could, sort of like Yelp for nonprofits, where you could leave um, a review of a funder. And I also want to turn myself, <laughs> as I often have to do these days, towards something positive in all this too. And um, maybe practice some positive behavioral reinforcement. You know, it works for training dogs and it can work with toddlers. So maybe, maybe these same principles can be put into place to also affect change in the philanthropic sector. And so one of the ways that is, we mentioned, already mentioned Grant Advisor. Um, each year, the Grant Professionals Association, Amanda and I are board members of this organization um, that provides training and support um, and conferences. And one of the other things that they do is they have a contest and it's open to non-members of GPA as well. Every year, that's the Grant Maker of the Year Award. And I serve on the awards committee, and I had the privilege of interviewing the executive director of during the uh, the award 
uh, process, the selection process. And um, of this organization that turned out to be one of the 2020 winners. And they're the New England Grassroots Environmental Fund. And they have turned grant-making decisions completely inside out in the best possible way. They, The board turned over all but basic fiduciary responsibility, which they have to do by law, turned it over to the program staff. The program staff said, hey, we're, we're doing deep-rooted community work. We should involve the community in the grant-making decisions. In fact, they should make the grant decisions. And I'm hoping to, at some point in the future, have her on the podcast, the executive director, to talk about this in more detail. But the bottom line here is that they do great, great work in tough times, but they do this work by, that is not hogtied by ridiculously complicated application processes. They show and can document tremendous results, and they have a codified application process. It just happens to work, and it happens to work in favor of the people and organizations that they say they're there to help. What a beautiful thing that is. I'm telling you. Um, Well, if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you know that I'm a total rule follower. Always have been, always will be. But it's really important to take a step back and sometimes just see how fair those rules are to begin with. Um, And you can still be a rule follower, but do some pushback on what is fair, what maybe these rules need to change. So I hope we've given you some food for thought today about what needs to change and maybe some ways to start changing it. Even if all you're doing is opening up some dialogue with your funder and said, hey, have you ever thought about the complications here? Because I did that once with a federal funder. I was having some issues and I emailed questions and he came back and he was like, well, just do this. And I'm like, it's not letting me. So I'm like screenshotting things and sending to him. And he was like, Oh, that's more complicated than I thought. I've never done that. I've never filled out our grant application before. And God bless me. I wrote back and I said, maybe you should. You know, and so for Amanda to do that is the equivalent of like a Quentin Tarantino 20 minute (laughs) profanity filled diatribe. Maybe maybe you should. should. Seriously. So, So, yeah, they're just some. There's some ways for change, and one of the ways is holding up the problem and having constructive dialogue. Maybe you're offering to help review a proposal uh, process that that you are not going to be submitting for in that grant cycle to keep it fair. You know, they're just ways. They're just ways. So all that aside, thank you for listening. We wouldn't do it without you. We couldn't do it without you. Leave a review of Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help spread the word. We are honored you chose to spend time with us, and we'd love for this podcast to be a part of your professional development lineup. Thank you again to our Season 4 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, dhleonardconsulting.com, to download their latest free resources today. Thanks again for joining us in this, the first episode of season four. We really appreciate you listeners, and we hope you tune in for our next episode. We're going to talk about the power of monthly giving with Erica Wasdorp. We hope you'll join us. Bye for now. Bye, y'all.